you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 14. One of the defining marks of liberalism in the Christian faith is a refusal to believe in the miracles of the Bible. And believe it or not, most liberals did not begin uh, thinking that was a bad thing. Uh, the Germans, for instance, who came up with uh, higher criticism, like Frederick Schleimacher and uh, uh, Rudolf Bultmann, wanted to make Christianity palatable for the masses. And uh, they said, well, men are not going to believe uh, in these miracles. So Bultmann, for instance, uh, set out to what he called demythologize the Bible. That is, to take out the elements of anything supernatural. Now, you think about that for just a moment, and it, it doesn't make any sense at all. If you believe in God, you must believe that He is sovereign. If you do not believe God is sovereign, you don't believe in God. You, 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 you may believe in a God, but He's not the God. God must be sovereign in order to be God. And if God is sovereign, miracles are not a problem. Why would it be a problem for the sovereign God who created all things to do a miracle? In this account is one of the most famous miracles of Jesus, him walking on the water. And subsequently, Peter walking on the water. Now, I don't have any problem at all with the miracle. My problem comes is when I understand that, that every time that Jesus did a miracle, he was teaching a lesson. And that there is a sense, in a spiritual sense, a metaphorical sense, that God wants us to walk on the water. That is, that which the water, I think, here represents. There's a key word in this passage in verse 22. It is the word made. One translation says constrained. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Jesus who could walk on the water most certainly knew that this storm was coming. I would go further than that. I would say that Jesus ordered up the storm. He sent the disciples into what he knew was going to be a terrible storm. And why would he do that? Because he wanted to teach them and teach us a lesson. And sometimes uh, God is a strange teacher. Uh, we've learned that in the book of Job. He gives us the test first and then the lesson. We're going to be focusing here a bit on Simon Peter. Peter is an interesting character in the New Testament. And I think most of the time, when we put our focus on Peter, it is generally to focus on his failures. I mean, he makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. Most of the time, what we have a tendency to do is to measure our holiness by other people's sins. That's a dangerous thing to do, by the way. But that's what we all like to do, you know. Well, you know, 
I might be bad, but, you know, so-and-so, they've, they've done this. You know, I've never done that. And so my holiness is measured by your sin. Uh, we kind of do that with Peter. We think, well, you know, you know, Peter denied Christ when Christ was on trial. Peter uh, denied him three times and cursed and said he didn't know him. And here in this passage here, uh, Peter sinks and Christ has to rescue him. And then at Caesarea Philippi, uh, Jesus had to rebuke him and, and say, get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking about the things of men, or of God, but of men. We focus and identify with Peter's failures, but we rarely ever rise to his victories. I mean, he denied Christ, but he was there. All the other disciples have fled. He had to be present for the denial. Yes, he sinks in the water here, but of all the other disciples in the boat, only Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And Peter does walk on the water. His, his later failure cannot erase that. And he was rebuked at Caesarea Philippi, but he did make the great confession. It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was Peter who had that revelation. So when we focus on Peter, let's look at his uh, triumphs as well as his failures. I, what I want us to see in this passage this morning is that the ultimate purpose of miracles is an ever-increasing faith that results in a true worship of Jesus Christ. The first thing to notice, I think, in this passage is what I want to call the extremity of man or the problem of the storm. Notice some things about the situation that the disciples are in. First of all, notice the distance from the shore. In verse 22, we're told in the text that Jesus sends his disciples out on the Sea of Galilee and disperses the crowd, goes up on a mountain by himself to pray. Now, he has just fed the 5,000. And while he is on the mountain praying, a terrible storm comes across the Sea of Galilee. And the ship is tossed about. The Bible says that the ship was in the midst of the sea. In John chapter 6, it says the disciples had rowed about three miles. It's a little over six miles at this point across the Sea of Galilee. So they are in the, the middle of a problem. See, they're in the middle of the sea. It's as far back to where they started as it is to where they're going. Uh, they find themselves right in the middle of difficulty. Oftentimes we find ourselves in problems and wish that we could go back. How often I've heard people say to me, I wish that there was a reset button that I could just go back to this point here. Now I'm right in the middle of things. I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know where to move ahead. I don't know whether to go back to where I was before. Then notice the direction of the wind. In verse 24, it, it says that the wind was against them. Uh, the, the King James Version says the wind was contrary. Um, my my, my great-grandmother uh, raised uh, my mother, uh, and, and we all called her Ma, Ma Jenkins. And Ma used to say about me when I was a little boy, 
she, she would tell people, uh, Bobby's a, he's a good little boy, but he's contrary. You know what, you ever hear anybody use that word, contrary? That means uh, they do the opposite of what they're supposed to do. Well, the wind here is contrary. The wind is against them. Now, if you understand a little bit about the topography around this area of the Sea of Galilee, um, it is quite normal for fierce storms to uh, be whipped up. Uh, And remember this. These men were fishermen. Now, now not fishermen like guys who go out a couple of days a week and, you know, throw a hook in the water. These were professionals. They made their living fishing the Sea of Galilee. Undoubtedly, they had been in some terrible storms, but apparently they'd never been in one as bad as this one. And John tells us that they were afraid. They were, it, the storm was so fierce that they were afraid. And remember as well, they got into this problem by being obedient. Christ had told them, get into the boat, go to the other side. They were obeying Christ. We, I, th- I hope we have learned from the book of Job that there are problems, difficulties, uh, trials, adversity that come in life not because of our sin. Now, there are some that come because of that. But sometimes God wants to prove to an unbelieving world that there are those who will worship him because he is God, whether there are blessings or not. Uh, but they are, uh, they are being obedient, and they're in this terrible storm. One of the great Bible expositors of the 20th century was a man by the name of George Campbell Morgan. And George Campbell Morgan said one time, every parable that Jesus told is a miracle for our instruction. And every miracle that Jesus performs is a parable for our instruction. Jesus didn't perform miracles just to be doing them. They were designed to teach a lesson. So the disciples are being taught a lesson. I think the first part of it is obedience is not always easy. It's not always easy to do what God commands. And uh, sometimes it is exceedingly difficult. So the distance from the shore, they're halfway in the midst of the problem. The wind is against them. And then the darkness of the night. The Romans divided... Uh, the night into four watches from 6 p.m. till 6 a.m. And uh, this says that they are, in verse 25, they're in the fourth watch of the night, about 3 o'clock in the morning. So the darkest part of the night. Uh, they, they had been out on the sea uh, for some time now. They had been working. They had been rowing hard, Uh, they were exhausted, they were frightened, they'd probably been in this boat for seven or eight hours. And again, they were being obedient. The easiest thing for them to have done was just to have turned and tacked with the wind and let it carry them back to where where they had started. But Jesus had said, go to the other side. So they wanted to go to the other side. Uh, 
And notice it says in verse 25 that Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And they did not recognize him. They said, it's a ghost. He was the solution to their problem, and they didn't recognize him. Oftentimes, we find ourselves in very difficult, dark situations when all the circumstances are against us. When we do, remember that the solution to your problem is here in this book. Here in the pages of the Bible are the solution to your problem. Uh, don't fail to miss Christ in the midst of your problem. So that's the, the first thing to notice, the extremity of man. And then notice the sovereignty of God. Uh, the Bible says that when they cried out, it's a ghost, Jesus said to them, it is I. Take, take good courage, or be of good courage, or take heart, it is I. Greek scholars tell us that that phrase, it is I, can be translated, I am. As a matter of fact, that is the way it is translated throughout most of the Bible. There are seven sign miracles in the Gospel of John, for instance. And in them, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Seven statements, not the sign miracles are also there. But there are seven statements, seven I am statements. The phrase is uh, ego ami, I am. Uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when Moses stands before the burning bush and God commissions him to go to Egypt, Moses says to God, when I get down there and tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go, and he asks me, who has sent you, what do I tell him? And God says, you tell him, ego ami. You tell him, I am that I am has sent you. So it is particularly the name of God. I, I, that's why it always amazes me that anyone could read the Gospel of John and not come away absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. I mean, he repeatedly uses this phrase. So what is Jesus saying to those disciples and to us when he says, I am. It is, first of all, a declaration of deity. Uh, Jesus is saying that everything in this universe is subject to me. Take heart, I am. In the midst of problems, in the midst of despair, in the midst of darkness, Jesus Christ says to us, take heart, I am. He is God. Uh, those who do not believe in miracles, uh, who scoff at this account, will often say, well, you know, uh, God doesn't work contrary to the laws of nature. They usually do it in that voice. <laughs> always, always wondered about that phrase. What, what are the laws of nature? 
What is that? I, I, I don't think there is any such thing. What there are are the laws of a sovereign God. The laws of nature is a phrase that unbelievers have invented to explain the laws of a sovereign God. Does God break his own law? No. He may impose a higher law. You know, I've always thought one of the great advantages of being God is you can do whatever you want, you know. Uh, You can do what pleases you. Everything that God does pleases him, and everything that God does brings him glory. You know, men do that. You know, you... The law of gravity says what goes up comes down, you know. You get up 35,000 feet, it's a long fall. Unless you can impose the law of aerodynamics. And in a working airplane, let's hope they work, then you can stay at 35,000 feet for a long time. Again, if you believe in God, you believe in miracles. You know, Thomas Jefferson, one of the founders of the nation, great man, you know, uh, very smart man. Uh, a lot of people think Jefferson was a Christian. He wasn't. He was a deist. You can go to the Smithsonian uh, Museum in Washington, D.C., and you can see Thomas Jefferson's Bible. Well, what Jefferson did was he cut out everything that had any reference to a miracle. He didn't have much Bible left. Jefferson believed in a God. He did not believe in the God of the Bible. If you believe in God, then you believe in miracles. Uh, So this is a declaration of deity. Jesus says, I am. It is also a, a proclamation of presence. I am is always the present tense. Christ is all we need all the time. Not only is Christ necessary, he is sufficient. He is all that we need. The 23rd Psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is means right now. Not the Lord was, as the Lord will be, the Lord is. Years and years ago, I heard an old preacher down in Florida who preaching on the 23rd Psalm, and he said, he read that passage, the Lord is my shepherd, and he stopped for just a moment, and he said, brothers and sisters, the Lord always has been is, the Lord always will be is. That is true. This is a proclamation of presence. I am uh, means that Christ is present. But it's also an announcement of abundance. I am is an unfinished sentence. Jesus is not only necessary, he is enough. What do you need? What do you need? You need comfort? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need love? What do you need? Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the answer. When I was a young man, and rather irreverent, there used to be a few billboards in Knoxville that that proclaim Jesus is the answer. And me and a friend of mine would, you know, mockingly say, what was the question? I got a little older and I figured out it didn't matter what the question is. He is the answer. In Jesus Christ are found God's amen, his 
let it be. But then notice here, the, the, the real crux of the matter is the opportunity of faith in verses 28 through 33. Now, Peter is scared of the storm like all of the disciples are. However, when Peter sees Jesus, he is willing to walk out on the water to go to him. So, get this straight. Peter knows how bad the storm is. But he believes that Jesus Christ is greater than his storm. Uh, Peter understands that anything that can hurt him in the storm is already under the feet of Jesus. The wind is bad, but it can't rip his body apart, or else it already would have. The only thing that can hurt Peter is the water. He can drown. But Jesus Christ is on top of the water. He's walking on the water. Everything that threatens Peter is already under the feet of Jesus Christ. So Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, have me come to you. And here is a great display of faith on Peter's part. Some have said Peter was being presumptuous, arrogant. I don't, I don't think so. Jesus would never have encouraged arrogance or presumption. Uh, I think that this is an example of Peter simply trusting Jesus. He is exhausted. He is scared. And yet, he believes that Jesus Christ is the answer to his problem. Now, so he walks on the water. And we're told in verse 30 then that Peter saw the wind and the waves. That's when he began to sink. In order to see the wind and the waves, Peter had to take his eyes off of Jesus. That's what happens to us in the storms of life. We get overwhelmed because we take our eyes off of the solution to our problem. We take our eyes off Jesus. Usually, usually we kind of treat Christ as a last resort. You know, well, we've done everything we can do. You know, I, told, I told you about a friend of mine who was on staff of a large church down in Texas 40 years ago and had a big room of, of elders and deacons, and they were talking about this problem. Finally, the, the pastor says, men, I think we ought to pray. And one of the men in the group said, preacher, you mean it's come to that? <laughs> it's come to that? You know, that? That's the kind of way that we are, you know, as a last resort. Uh, I believe in this miracle, what, what God is saying to Peter and to us, I think the wind and the waves represent adversity, circumstances in our lives that are unfavorable. And what is the answer? How are, do we, how are we to overcome the circumstances? How do, you, how do you live with a bad boss? Probably, I know none of you ever, you ever had a bad boss, really, but, well, Lynn Morrison might have had a bad boss. She worked for me for a while. But but how do you overcome problems at work? How do you overcome problems at school? How do you deal with family problems? You know. How are you to react? How are you to work through difficult circumstances, adversity that comes in life? Uh, Peter 
wanted to be on top of his circumstances. Most of the time we're under them, you know. How you doing? Well, pretty good under the circumstances. <laughs> you know. And for a while, Peter did. He walked on the water. But then he took his eyes off of Jesus. He looked at his problems again. When he, de- when he did, he began to sink. Someone said that, that Peter uttered the last seven words of a Baptist church. We never done it this way before. And when that happened, down he went. He began to sink like a rock. And we, we know the reason. It says he saw the wind. He'd been walking by faith. Now he's walking by sight. He had been walking in the Spirit. Now he begins to get into the flesh. And when he does, when he no longer saw Jesus, the Bible says he was afraid. And faith and fear are opposite ends of the spectrum. And we go through life experiencing one or the other. We either trust Christ and believe Him, or we are fearful. Not both at the same time. So, It was a terrible thing that day. Peter drowned. They dragged him to the shore, did CPR, you know, called people in, tried to revive him. What? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not what happened. That was in in the liberal version of the Bible. Uh, When he started to sink, what did Peter do? He cried out, Lord, save me. I believe there are two great statements of faith in this text by Peter. The first one is in verse 28, when he says, Lord, if it's you, have me come to you on the water. And the second is in verse 30, where he says, Lord, save me. When Peter took his eyes off Jesus, when the circumstances threatened to overwhelm him, he knew exactly where to turn. He turned to Jesus. If the circumstances of life are overwhelming you, you know where to turn. Turn to Jesus and cry out to Him. Whenever we are overwhelmed by the realities of life, and that is often, we need to turn to the solution, to Jesus Christ, who is the answer to the problem. And notice what happens when Peter cries out, Lord, save me. The text says in verse 31, immediately Jesus reaches out His hand And he caught him. I think that Christ will always either give us the strength to endure our circumstances, as he did with Job, or he will give us uh, deliverance from our circumstances. One of the two. Strength to endure or deliverance from. Whatever brings him glory, that is what he will do. And that ought to be a favorable response to us. Charles Spurgeon once said, Peter was closer to the Lord when he was sinking than when he was walking. It was when he was in trouble that he was driven to Christ and closer to him. I think that is the way it is with us. God often orders storms into our lives so that we will turn to him. Because when things are going well, we have the tendency to depend upon our own strength. We have the tendency to fix it. We can fix it. 
We don't need God's direction. We don't need his guidance. We don't need his wisdom. But when we are in the midst of the storm, that is when we turn to him. It is when trouble comes. Someone said to me one time that uh, prayer is always an act of desperation. I thought about that first, and I thought, oh, no, you know, you, you, ought to, you ought to pray all the time, not just when you're desperate. And so I asked him about it, and he said, don't you understand that without prayer, it's always desperate? Don't you understand that life is a desperate thing? Always. So prayer is always out of desperation. Lord, I can't get through this day without you. I, I, and I cannot possibly let my wife and my children and my grandchildren and, and the saints of God go out without praying for them because the times are desperate, the days are desperate, our lives are desperate. And so we need to walk with Christ. All of the kind. All, all, after Jesus rescued Peter, it says the two of them climbed into the boat and the wind died down. That's, in, that's impressive in itself. Uh, on an earlier occasion, uh, the disciples had, had reflected on that in all. You remember in Matthew chapter 8. But here, the climax is, is really not Jesus saving Peter or even rebuking Peter. He rebukes him very mildly. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The, the climax is in verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the first time Jesus is called the Son of God by the disciples. And the words build on what he had said earlier in chapter 8. They'd ask, What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Here they say, Truly, you are the Son of God. They've got a long way to go, but they're growing. Their faith is maturing. This miracle has caused them, has led them to increase in faith so that they worship God. This is also the first time the disciples are said to worship Jesus, which, by the way, is a very, very important factor in saying that Jesus is God. Monotheistic, monotheistic Jews would never have worshipped a man, ever, ever, ever. Their worship is extremely important. But it's the first time it says they worshipped him. In chapter 2 of Matthew, the Magi worshipped Jesus. A leper in chapter 8 worshipped him. The ruler of the synagogue in chapter 9. But here, for the first time, the disciples worshipped him. And notice that their worship is joined to their confession. And that's what worship is. Worship is an acknowledgement of God, of praising him both for who he is and what he has done. And in this case, the disciples took the first step and worshiped Jesus as God, as God the Son. I notice also that they focused entirely on Jesus in their worship. I mean, Peter had walked on the water. Why didn't they say, wow, this is great. Peter, what about giving you testimony? You know, he set you up for a little testimony time here. No, they don't do that. The wind had died down. They didn't have a discussion about miracles either. They didn't say, I'll tell you what. Boy, this is great. There's a miracle going on here. Man, let's, 
Well, we need to start a, you know, a two-week, three-week meeting and take an offering every night, by all means, you know, and send a little seed faith money in. They didn't do that. They worshiped Jesus, and they focused on Jesus. They were entirely taken up with him. Jesus is the master of circumstances. Peter had the courage, had the faith to get out of the boat. Now, again, focusing on Peter's failures, we have a tendency to say, well, yeah, you know, Peter was doing fine there, but, you know, he did begin to sink. Here's a final thing I think we should notice. Peter had to get back in the boat. Now, he was a great swimmer, but the wind and the waves still had not died down, so obviously he couldn't swim. If he could have, he would have. You know, so he didn't swim back to the boat. So how did he get back? When Jesus took his hand, how did he get back into the boat? Either he walked back, just like he would got out there, or I suppose Jesus could have drug him through the water. Or Jesus could have carried it. What's it matter? What's it matter? Do you understand that everything in this life that threatens to be over your head is already under the feet of Jesus? You, you get that? I'll tell you something that I believe with, with all my heart. I believe that man only has three problems. I believe every problem that you have, every problem I have, every problem anybody has can be related to three things. Sin, sorrow, and death. Sin, sorrow, and death. Everything, everything comes from one of those three. And Jesus Christ has defeated all of them. He is master of all of them. Sin, sorrow, and death. So, are you trusting Him? Are you believing Him for the forgiveness of sin, for eternal life, and for strength to endure the trials and adversities that you face every day of your life? Just a moment, we're going to stand and have a word of prayer.